From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own business. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name's Kieran, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Julia Venderman, founder of Labeled. After 15 years in the fashion industry, working for brands like Hugo Boss, Burberry, Bali, and Harry's of London, Julia launched Labeled alongside her husband, Nicholas, in 2021. This was done with a mission to make sustainable fashion the new normal. As a luxury retailer, they seek to drive change by promoting conscientious consumption through sustainable fashion lines. They carefully pick items made from recycled materials with an ethical supply chain. They recently partnered with Cara Delevingne and Karl Lagerfeld to feature an ethical, practical fashion line and are soon entering the rental fashion market. You're very, very welcome, Julia. It's brilliant to have you. How are you doing today? Hey, um, thank you for, first of all, exactly, thank you for, for having me today. Um, it's an absolute um, pleasure to be on this um, podcast with you. And um, yes, I'm good. Great. I'm excited to do this today. And um, yeah. Brilliant. So, let's talk. Let's talk indeed. <laughs> um, so let's start at the, I suppose, the beginning, just before uh, Label was incepted. What were you doing and why did you decide it wasn't quite fulfilling you enough at the time and you wanted to go in and do, do start something yourself. So I think I'd say I can't really say that what I have done before wasn't necessarily fulfilling me, right? Um, I really love, I have always been in the fashion industry, so my career started there and I'm still here. Um, so this is now kind of like, you know, 15 years back. Um, uh, but I think obviously, you know, during that time I have seen, let's say, changes in the industry, right? So for example, we really could see working in the luxury side of, of the industry, that that part is contaminated in to a certain extent by the more fast fashion mm-hmm. cycles, mm-hmm. right? Like kind of accelerating the whole industry to a level where if you really love that um, that industry and you love the product and like, you know, the element of design and creativity that kind of like started to be less and less relevant instead it was more and more relevant to churn our products quite fast, right? And so that was one part which I personally didn't like, mm-hmm. but also um, could see that that was impacting businesses, the teams inside, and then obviously, you know, on a really much wider scheme, obviously the planet. And so I think that's um, when we, you know, COVID hit kind of said, okay, that's the part which we don't particularly love about the industry. How can we actually remove us? Because myself and also Nick, the second co-founder, we have been always in leadership positions within the industry, but we couldn't really make a change. And so we we kind of felt we have to get out of this mm-hmm. and build something by ourselves, which then can actually, you know, really transition or accelerate mm-hmm. the change to a more circular economy, which is is really kind of well needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not a small challenge at all. Um, so obviously a pretty <laughs> yeah. big mission to tackle, but just even getting down into the bolts of it, when you're trying to conceptualize something as big as a, a fashion label and coming up with a business around it, what were the first kind of bits that yourself and Nicholas started to tackle to get operational? So I think for us, the really big, big element was to um, start conversation with friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we had a lot of experience, but we wanted to hear it firsthand, not just from the brands we were working with, but also par- other partner brands, small brands, but also other big, um, you know, global brands. What are their challenges? What is the what the problems they are facing? You know, to become more sustainable, mm-hmm. because also it's. 
it's not just um, uh, you know us as a consumer. Obviously, we want to um, uh, have more transparency. Transparency. We want to buy better. But there's also, let's say, still a lot of legislations missing, which is also difficult for the brands to actually act towards certain goals, right? The goals they have set, they set for themselves. And like many goals are for like different brands are quite different. And that's one of the challenges. So I think we wanted to really understand, let's say, what are their pain points? And then obviously also better understand what are the pain points for the consumer. Mm -hmm. And that's been, we put quite a lot of effort into research at the beginning to speak with both parts mm -hmm. and really kind of like see what are the pain points for, for both. And how can we how can we solve them? Mm -hmm. And then quite fast, the idea of let's say a really truly circular economy platform was born mm -hmm. because you know we know that let's say brands don't yet um, power rental; they don't power resale themselves. So that is certainly let's say a platform which is powering that for them without any additional hassle and also lets them actually monetize during mm -hmm. you know the process is something they were seeing as a really big benefit. Yeah. And then on the other side, we have the consumer who we know today is, is you know, struggling to navigate mm -hmm. um, a, a circular economy because of all those different um, you know, channels. So um, it was also very clear if we have a platform which offers a very seamless journey between those different channels, then um, we would also have a win-win for the consumer. Mm -hmm. So that's how all kind of labeled was born. So a lot of market research yeah. at the beginning. Uh, I suppose then just digging into that market research, because again, tying back to the mission, and it's very much on sustainability and showing that the brands are doing the right thing by the customer. So that probably takes you into a lot of research into the supply chain. How do things get made? How do yes. process? Yeah. How does it ship? How easy a task was that? Because that seems like something that's a big gargantuan task from a research project. How did you break that down? Where were you, you setting benchmarks of quality? Like, talk to me a, bit, a little bit about that. I love that question. I mean, that was probably one of our biggest pain points, yeah, right? I like, um, so. so, I mean, we we started labeled really like um, in 2020, but that's let's say going back mm -hmm. to when we started our know, conversations. And one of the biggest pain points was to understand what is actually the right revenue avenue to yes. go down when it comes to sustainability. At the beginning, we were like, okay, you know, many brands are investing into more sustainable collections, yeah. right? Then now we started speaking to quite a lot of activists and also really experts in the field of sustainability. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, for example, Fashion for Good, organizations like that, yeah. or the Alan MacArthur Foundation. Or we spoke to one of our advisors is from the Plastic Planet. Yeah. So she's the founder of the Plastic Planet. Cool. Um, and you know, we really then understood that there is not, it's very difficult to classify products as this is sustainable and yes. this isn't. Yes. So the true answer to this is circularity, which means you just need to keep the products in circulation for as long as possible while investing and also, let's say, promoting materials which are probably made better and, let's say, innovative mm -hmm. um, initiatives mm -hmm. in the industry. But it took us almost a year to truly understand, you know, what's the right, what's the right, um, um, like, avenue to go down to really speak about sustainable fashion and consumption. Which probably shows you just how hard it is for the consumer. Because, like, how, how is it yeah. they can make sense of it? Because you'll have big brands who have huge marketing budgets that can making something perceived to be super green. But how do you, I so, so what I'd be really curious to understand in, in terms of some of those advisors, and policymakers that you chatted to, 
what are the the things that they they see as good characteristics in a supply chain or selection of materials versus what do they see as bad characteristics or greenwashing like what are the what are they going to good and bad points you're, you're constantly looking at. I, I appreciate you said kind of the longevity of how long a garment is, is in cycle being a, being a good one, for instance. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are like very different um, elements when it comes to, um, uh, let's say, the supply chain, especially of fashion, right? So there's already, there's missing transparency. Many um, uh, brands don't even know where their products are coming from. Mm-hmm. And this is already one of the biggest um, problems we have. So if we would have, you know, already the transparency where our products made and you have an, an impact on actually are there the right working conditions, are what kind of chemicals are used, what materials mm-hmm. are truly used, right? Then um, uh, there we would know where to start making changes. So this is, let's say, transparency is yes. one of the biggest yeah. pain points. And this often comes actually with, um, uh, you know, maybe more mid-sized to smaller brands who don't necessarily know where the original raw materials are coming from. So you need to be very careful of like then to classify what is sustainable and what are we classifying as organic and non-organic and so on. So that was one of their first things. Be quite careful. Um, not everything which is organic is truly, is true, is truly. Um, I think another big point about, um, uh, let's say the supply chain is that today, for example, when it comes to polyester, right? So let's say recycled polyester is often made in the fashion industry with, let's say, bottles. Mm-hmm. But actually, behind the scenes, it would be better to make a bottle again out of that polyester piece okay. than like bringing it into fashion. Because yes. then you then, at the end of the life of that product, you can't recycle it again. Uh-huh. But a bottle, you could recycle again, 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 again. Okay, fascinating. So, you know, there's a lot of um, questions. So, like, today, even what we think in fashion is potentially better yeah. might not necessarily be in the long time, and that is with vegan leathers and the very thing. You know, you almost find to every every element, yeah. you find a downside, right? So I think, like, one of the biggest things we need to do is truly invest into innovative, mm. let's say, initiative materials, push it. Yeah. But at the same time, really, like, the, the true answer is... To keep your products, mix your yeah. old with new. Because that's so interesting. Because like, there's a really good point you make. You 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 could recycle something and make it, and then market the hell of it. Say, hey, this is recyclable goods. But if that product actually can't be used to use again, then it's not as good as something like that. So, I suppose taking an example that they've managed to to really dominate the the mass consumer space, and I can see them on, on labeled, if you take on Veja and, and the, their, their runners and their, their vegan runners, what uh, materials or products are they using that seems to have got that kind of mass market engagement that seems to be quite effective? And just curious to, to understand that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's always difficult also for, you know, we have multi-term yeah, platforms of yeah, yeah, yeah. all our partners, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, when you come to to Vecha, I think it's an innovative um, product because they are really, um, uh, apart from using maybe the most, you know, kind of like sustainable materials, they're investing a lot of their efforts and also money into actually building their facilities um, under the right conditions mm-hmm. right in South America. And so there's there's a lot of investment going behind the product yes. to make the whole chain transparent, um, traceable, and then obviously more sustainable, which 
Yeah, well, I, I suppose then going on to what you were alluding to there uh, was pretty remarkable, uh, given that yourself and Nicholas started this in 2021. If I go on label today, it's pretty household names there. You've got Burberry, you've got Gucci, you've got Nike, you've got Beja, we just touched on. Most people will struggle to navigate those big names in terms of engagements. I'm like, how do you get your, do- your, your foot in the door in terms of talking to those kind of gigantic companies mm. what what was yours and nicholas's approach like talk me through through how you how you got them listed <laughs> i think you know our approach was exactly the way it is right many um, uh, consumers wouldn't necessarily um, uh, connect those brands immediately with sustainability yes but when you look behind the scenes actually those luxury players they have invested into sustainable initiatives for more than 15 years right so they are and they own most of their um, uh, supply chain. So when you look into how they actually work and um, uh, transparency and all of those elements, they are really very much on the forefront. Um, So this was, let's say, one point. But then also we know, having been in the merchandising space for many years, we know that um, consumers really want to buy brands. It's also what sells our platform the most. Mm -hmm. So it's it's about shifting this perception of like, you know, I need to constantly buy something to buying better, buying mm-hmm. products which are actually high quality right from the beginning, will you know, those brands deliver certainly. Um, and then keeping those products, you know, keeping them, bringing them back, reselling them, mm-hmm. renting them. So it's, um, it's, it's more about that. Mm-hmm. And, well, that, that's kind of fascinating in its own right. So in, in most marketplaces, obviously you've got the getting the consumers on, but also getting the suppliers on on, on both ends, which is doubling the challenge for the business owner in that area. But with the same things, you're adding a third one into the mix, which is constant education, because by the same things, if you educate your consumer to buy better, uh, they'll hopefully make the, the right choices and, um, and make the right selections when it comes to to, to, to purchasing uh, sustainably. So in terms of like that mantra of buying better, have you invested a lot in the content creation or education in that space? And has that been effective for you in, in gathering new customers? So I would say that is, let's say, to come. So we, <laughs> that's one area where we have to invest yes. heavily in, and that's really part of our strategy and plan. We have maybe not yet invested um, uh, that much in, in that space yeah. because also we want to be quite careful with our messaging. So there's a little bit of... You know, we have been thinking a lot in the last three months about how do we actually start this? Yeah. Who are the right collaborators? How do we really get out to the consumer um, with a different tone of voice than, you know, what you have seen mm-hmm. with other platforms mm-hmm. so far? Um, so, yeah, that's um, it's out of the area of focus. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose then going, going back to that marketplace dynamic, Obviously, crucially, to get the, the customers on the beginning, you want to have a, a healthy selection that resonates with the, the business's goals and mission. Uh, at, at what point or what kind of targets did yourself and Nicholas set to say, hey, we want this much supply in the marketplace before opening it up? How did you, how did you kind of map that out before kind of pushing the big red button, so to speak, to go live? I think let's say we kind of wanted to have a nice portfolio of brands. So we always said between like 20 to probably 25 players yeah. with, let's say, this kind of idea of, you know, wide price mixes. So you would combine the more luxury brands with more like premium brands, like, you know, Vecha, for example. So that was always our idea. Um, so that we kind of executed, ticked the box. 
Um, it was then another um, uh, important element of like looking good, right? Because obviously we are playing with, um, you know, with kind of like quite um, powerful brands. Mm-hmm. So that was one other element. And let's say kind of taking those two boxes, we said, okay, let's go live, test the concept actually with consumers. And I mean, the response has been amazing in the first three months of trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are growing, kind of doubling our revenues every second um, or every month. Let's say um, we are doubling them. So it um, has been a nice journey. I think now the next step, it's like really truly implementing, you know, our circular model. Yep. So building technology and then um, kind of pushing mm-hmm. to your point, community and um, yep. yeah. And, and in terms of getting those initial customers to test it out, see if you got the right selection, seeing if you're going right down the right path, what was your strategy in terms of going out and finding those customers and getting them onto the platform? So, I mean, here we have been really um, uh, kind of, let's say, we, we tested yeah. PC, so, you know, paid marketing, yeah. um, kind of Google get um, uh, consumers coming through the page. And that was really, like you said, very much to test. Do we have the right assortment? Is like the, you know, the site resonating? Do we have the right conversion rate? Do customers return to the page, mm-hmm. right? And all of that is kind of now proven. Now the second step is to obviously, you know, invest into organic yeah. marketing which we are quite, um, I mean, that's kind of like we see that as a big, big element mm-hmm. of success in the future. So, um, and that's that's to come. So nice. stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> and just on the, the, the PPC element, there's a lot of experimentation in there around kind of keyword analysis, whether do you do you go Google, do you go Bing, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you, you decide to place this. Is that an area yourself and Nicholas were familiar with or you're just like, not our bag, we're going to outsource, bring someone in and work with them. What was your approach on on the kind of paid media strategy? So let's say from, um, so we always knew we would probably start testing the concept with like an, as we have an agency mm-hmm. who is working with us on the PPC side. Um, uh, so that was always clear that for the start, we work with an agency for, you know, the more paid advertisement, right? Now we are bringing a person on board for, let's say, the organic growth, yeah. so everything which would be social media related. Yeah. It's actually our next big announcement because Amazing. she's by the public space. Yeah. Um, uh, and she's starting to join us now mid of September. Um, so starting from next week. Um, and she will really drive that, that area together with us. No, no doubt. Um, I think. Speaking from, I know, completely different sector, but from our side, when we made the investment into the SEO and search dynamic within Swoop, yeah. made, made a huge, huge impact. Um, uh, Jimmy, who we brought in to head that channel, has just done an unbelievable job. And putting the right con- content out really does help kind of breed what you're trying to do from yeah. a community point of view. Um, and I suppose uh, going from uh, the marketing aspect and then flipping into the actual platform itself. Because your business is so visual and it's about how product is displayed and how the attachment the consumer has to how it looks and what it will be feel like then, the website and platform, I, I'd imagine, is incredibly important both in terms of how it looks and how it functions. So had you guys had experience working and building uh, websites before or was this kind of a new thing that you guys were experiencing for the very first time so we um we we did have some experience um so we had a startup actually before so like 10 years ago which was um another marketplace for let's say small independent boutiques around europe yeah 
So we did it for two years and then sold the business fairly fast to, let's say, um, the tech company who was building it fast and went back into the more um, kind of corporate uh, world. Um, but let's say the experience kind of stayed with us right from there. Um, but we also did bring expertise into the team right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we have one person who is really um, focused on that. So he's our um, CEO. He runs the whole e-commerce um, site and he has done that for 15 years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's was his ex expertise. And then we have a CTO, which is also on board in building the tech. Yeah. So I mean, as much kind of overarching experience we have, we yeah. do, we need to bring um, expertise in in that field. Yeah, how important is that kind of understanding your strengths and where other people's strengths are and where how to bring them in and manage that? I say, I mean, this is a, yeah, is, is a good one. I think, let's say, this is probably as a founder, one of the most important parts to kind of really, you know, quite fast understand where your weaknesses are, right? Yeah. And so I think we, we both like our expertise is product, branding, you know, kind of all of those more visually nice things. Nick is also very strong on finance and the more number side. Yeah. But we always knew on tech, you know, we wouldn't say we are the most tech savvy you know, people. <laughs> yeah. So we really need help there. Yeah. And um, let's say obviously on the really the driving the digital business, mm. we are also um, quite clear. And now we are bringing, as I was saying, we bring someone on for the marketing side, yeah. which was also clear there, we need a bit more um, support. Yeah. So I think it's about really accepting that you can't do everything alone. Very, and, um, very true. <laughs> wise, wise words. And just, just hearing you speak, Julia, it, it's clear you're always looking for insights or nuggets from data or numbers to help inform what, what comes next. Um, do you have like analytics running the whole time, whether it's I don't know, a Shopify style system or a Google Analytics feeding you information or addictive notifications telling you when you've sold something. How, how, how much does that help you influence what to do next? Um, so we have all of what you just mentioned. That's like kind of our daily dashboards, yeah. right, where we, where we go. Yeah. So, um, again, I think at the moment, you know, like we are um, paid-driven, but we want to swap this gotcha. now so we know exactly it needs to be more investment into SEO, into um, organic community build. Yep. So that's our kind of strategy for the next, um, I mean, for always, but that's really a focus for the next months to come. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, you know, bringing more products on board, um, uh, updating the site. You know, and I think as a digital business, digital platform, you never stop. Yeah. Your technology never no. stops. Uh, we, are at a, we are a baby. Yeah. We are in our baby steps. So now we need to uh, start crawling <laughs> and then maybe running. And, and do you ever like look at some sort of ratio between the amount of users you have and the number of products on there right, so that you try and marry them to be a healthy balance of both or how just just always fascinated in that marketplace area how you kind of keep an eye on it yes i think i mean product ratio is like super important okay. and that's what we what we look at so also like how are all the brands which we have in our portfolio how they are presented you know we need to kind of make sure that seasonally we rotate things out yeah. and upload the right products so all of that is like yes we are looking at that kind of um uh, daily then we realize often, oh shit, we still are only 10 people. So <laughs> yeah. we can't do all of this in a day, yeah. but you know, <laughs> step by step. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's, let's talk funding for a second. Like most early stage startups, uh, you don't have a bank flush with unlimited amount of, of cash. 
Uh, where have you guys gone to look to how to fund the business initially? Was that challenging? Talk me through that that, that process of, of trying to get funding and putting it into the business. Yeah. So I think let's say you know general fashion is always like one area I think where um, investors you know want to see traction right because there's obviously a, a business of a lot of um, competition mm-hmm. and so the big element is how do you differentiate yourself I think our journey has been we um, self-funded a lot of the initial part of the business. Yes. Um, uh, founding journey, let's say that was all self-funded. We then knew we wanted to bring some strategic people on board yeah. who, um, who could be an advisor to the business and an investor. And we kind of did like a small family and friends round, but they are more than capital. It was important to bring the right mix mm-hmm. of people on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we raised kind of, let's say, a first equity round yes. um, at the beginning of the year, which kind of really gave us the ability to you know, develop what we have developed so far, bring the website live. And um, and now we are raising, at the moment we are raising um, a 2 million round. Nice. And I think that this will really kind of, um, you know, get us truly started. Great. And in terms of that first round, did you use things like um, SEIS or EIS uh, mm. tax rules to get, get money in that way? Yeah, actually, I mean, that uh, was a really important tool for us. I think SEIS um, and EIS is an amazing mm-hmm. tool in the UK. Yeah. So, yes, that was one of the first steps to get that um, approved and then and, start. And I can imagine in your initial, say, SEIS raise, it was a lot about yourself and Nicholas, your backgrounds, what you believed in and, and the mission. But I'd say the two million round is slightly different because you're, you're live in the market, you've got real customers, real brand engagement. So how is the pitch, the funding pitch slightly changed? Like what are you talking into now that you weren't quite doing in that first round, for instance? I think we kind of um, went from dream to reality, right? So <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so you have like, you know, you have your, your trash, right? And, uh, hockey, hockey sticks, hockey sticks, hockey sticks. <laughs> Our conservative estimate is this giant hockey stick that is sure to happen. Believe you me. Uh, but yeah, so I suppose in, in, this, in this new pitch, I suppose it's, it, it's talking into the real life life metrics of, exactly. of the year. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's changing, right? You speak like metrics, yeah. you speak like uh, reality instead of, let's say, before it was a piece of paper which you yeah. pitch, and now it's, you know, it, it comes to. Like, well, you know, what do you need to really track the business to the next stage? So <laughs> Yeah, exa- well, I, I suppose, yeah, digging in on that. So you've obviously, people talk a lot of scaling when they talk about equity financing. Yeah. So you've, you've gotten the team to 10, you've got an agency model alongside. What does uh, a 2 million check allow you guys to do in terms of where would you put that to work and what would the people operations of the business change as a result of the investment? 
Yeah. So I think let's say, you know, we designed it to go live, not having the whole technology ready, right? Because we really wanted to get an understanding of and feel of like, is there a reaction from the customer before we start building something out, which is potentially not, um, you know, relating, right? Um, so that's, let's say, why we kind of launched the website. And also the website was always the idea to actually drive community now to really start engaging with like the audience and get an audience almost lined up. Yeah. For once we, you know, have kind of let's say the complete, um, uh, the complete journey live, yeah. which is happened towards the end of this year, um, uh, and so let's say it was really um, now this round is going to help us to finalize tech awesome. and really start pushing um, marketing and team. So we, are, we we need to build a team to you know allow us also to um, uh, nurture our relationship with the brands we have on on the side, build out the um, uh, the platform, and so I mean all the areas we touched on from tech to marketing mm-hmm. to more operation kind of needs support so um, yeah it did really go into tech marketing team so I would say the you know usual, the usual. <laughs> aspects amazing amazing uh, well Julia honestly just thank you so much for coming on and sharing a label story today it's like for anyone listening there's so many valuable nuggets there particularly anyone thinking of entering into the fashion space you have a really refreshing attitude in terms of, as I said, understanding your own core strengths and where to bring people into it. You obviously guys live by analytics to help think of like what's next and understand you can only do little bits at once and then and try and scale the operation. So so much good nuggets there. Um, and for anyone listening who hasn't, definitely go on to Labeled. Check it out. Educate yourself. Check out the awesome brands that are on there, uh, and and take a look. But uh, honestly, uh, Julia, you've been brilliant, I and mean, I really hope you guys continue to smash it and have as painless a po- as possible equity fundraise, if that is even if that is possible, because they are excruciating. Um, so hopefully, it's as painless as possible, and you guys can get that that two million to kick on uh, to the next stage. Thank you so much, and um, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity today um, to have that podcast with you. Yeah, so thanks so much. Awesome. It was amazing. <laughs>